Welcome to Victory Over Communism with Bill Gertz, the only program willing to pull back the curtain of communism to reveal how China and even America's own brand of Marxism pose real threats to freedom and democracy in America and the world today. Your host and guide to victory over communism is one of the nation's most experienced national security journalists, Bill Gertz, who uses unique facts, pinpoint analysis, and exclusive interviews to identify and counter today's destructive communist ideologies. Now, Victory Over Communism with your host, Bill Gertz. Welcome to the podcast. Once again, we're closing out the year of 2023 for this episode, and I'm going to explore American neo-Marxism. As I always like to say, the show is about ideology, not people. People are free to believe in whatever they want, but our job here is to help educate and expose the destructive ideologies of Chinese communism and Marxism. I'd like all my listeners to know that the program is having a significant impact. Like political operative James Carville once said of his strategy and campaigns, it's the economy, stupid. I've adopted that to the real threat to our freedom and way of life. It's the ideology, stupid. The VOC podcast is really the only program that is exclusively devoted to exposing Marxism-Leninism for what it is, a false and destructive ideology that has fooled and deceived tens of millions of people around the world. And it's continuing to gain adherents who fail to understand that communism and Marxism will never solve the problems of society. Instead, Marxism and communism are undermining the God-centered experiment in self-government that began back in 1776 with the Declaration of Independence. The Declaration made clear in the revelatory wisdom of the founders of the nation, that the rights of people are derived from the laws of nature and nature's God. It then declares that all people are created equal and are endowed by the Creator with certain unalienable rights, including life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Marxism directly attacks this fundamental truth. First, Marxism and communism at their core are anti-God and atheistic. They, reject, they rejected God in the 19th century and helped put world civilization on a path of God denial in the name of, quote, scientific socialism, which is really code for Marxism-Leninism. Communism falsely propagates the notion that state power is central and that it must be seized by a vanguard of atheistic, materialistic revolutionaries who falsely assert that the economic system of capitalism is evil. It is not. And that history is moving materialistically in stages from feudalism toward an ideal worker's paradise that claims it will solve all social and economic and political and other problems. The American founders understood clearly that governments do not derive their power, governments that do not derive their power from the consent of the government produce tyrannies. These tyrannies are what Marxists have brought to the world, tyrannical regimes that view people as spiritless animals and only those animals that accept communist ideology are even considered human. This is not an exaggeration. For this episode of Victory Over Communism, I'm leveraging an excellent book written by Senator Ted Cruz, a Texas Republican who understands very clearly the threat posed by communism and Marxism in the United States. 
Cruz's father left Cuba for the U.S. and was, at one time, a supporter of Cuban communist leader Fidel Castro, until Rafael Cruz, the senior Cruz, returned to Cuba and witnessed the devastation that Castro's tyranny had produced. He then returned to Texas and begged forgiveness for misleading his audiences about Cuban communism. The book by Senator Cruz is called Unwoke, How to Defeat Cultural Marxism in America. For the VOC podcast, I don't like to use the term cultural Marxism. That is a term that has, in the past has been used by fascists. I oppose fascism as well as communism, but I regard communism as a growing existential threat to Western civilization. That must be aggressively countered, not merely opposed. The term I prefer for American Marxism is neo-Marxism, an ideology based on what is called critical theory. The Marxist proponents of critical theory in the 20th century recognized that many of the concepts of Karl Marx's 19th century communist ideology were not working, as advocated. So they culturized the ideology by replacing the workers versus capitalists with a much broader dialectic, oppressed versus oppressors. The methodology of communism remains unchanged. Neo-Marxists are engaged in an anti-capitalist revolution against every non-socialist or non-communist state, and especially the state led by the United States. The goal is its replacement with an anti-democratic socialist state with unchallenged power. What is happening today in the United States is a direct result of neo-Marxism of the neo-Marxist drive to seize power. The ideology asserts that every aspect of U.S. society must be targeted for radical transformation. Antonio Gramsci is credited by Senator Cruz with altering traditional Marxism and arguing that the only way to change society was not through violent revolution, but by infiltrating the institutions that make Western society unique. Gramsci's plan calls for all would-be Marxist revolutionaries to engage in a long-term, covert, counter-hegemonic struggle waged via a war of position against the ruling cultural consensus. That war of position would not, as in the East, result in a single, violent, cathartic victory. It requires protracted, multi-front battles for control of all civic structures that form the social consciousness. As I've mentioned many times, this was the long march through the institutions of America that has made Marxist ideas once regarded as peripheral, peripheral to American life to, the, to bringing them in the forefront of U.S. national consciousness. Notions of white supremacy, class warfare, Uh, and internalized racism are now discussed on major news outlets as if they were always been with us. Few people stop to wonder how these concepts, which seem to have come straight from a college literature course, have made their way into the mainstream of American society. Cruz says that neo-Marxists took Marxist communist teachings originally focused on economics and property and applied them instead to culture. As mentioned, the Marxist framework remains constant, a never-ending struggle between victims and oppressors that can only be corrected through force by the governance punishing the oppressors and rewarding the victims. 
The oppression matrix for American Marxists extends the ideology to race, gender, sexual orientation, transgenderism, and disability. And neo-Marxists expanded their weapons to enforce Marxism. No longer is it imposed through government policy. The tools now are through education, journalism, big technology, big business, sports, music, and Hollywood. Universities have become what Cruz calls the Wuhan labs of the woke virus. Schools are teaching false history, such as the evils of Christopher Columbus. Cuban uh, communists immediately altered the school system once they, ca- they took power to teach false Marxist ideology. Newsrooms, too, are becoming bastions of neo-Marxism, such as the 2009 case of Army Major Nadal Hassan, a radical Islamist terrorist in the military who killed 14 people while shouting Allah Akbar. The Obama administration at the time of the attack refused to say it was a terror attack and insisted it was, quote, workplace violence. And a a compliant, liberal-dominated news media followed suit. Cruz notes how in an interview he had with CNN's Jake Tapper, Tapper told him he was wrong on the air for calling Hassan an Islamist terrorist, only to tell later that, of course, Cruz was correct. Today, neo-Marxists dominate the news coverage at the New York Times and the Washington Post, and they're abandoning traditional journalism. At the Times, we saw the horrible example of the 1619 Project, a program that falsely asserted the United States was founded on slavery. In reality, the United States was founded by people seeking religious freedom. Publication of the 1619 Project gave neo-Marxists a chance to claim victory over real reporters who simply wanted to report the facts. The Times, the New York Times then began publishing long propaganda pieces like the work of Nicole Hannah-Jones and other contributors to the 1619 Project. For the Times, radicals' anti-racism had to be present in every story the Times published and in every section of the paper's coverage. Shades of Mao's uh, cultural revolution. Big business, big tech, entertainment, and and then science also followed the neo-Marxist drive to destroy America. Cruz ends his book with a warning about the existential threat posed by communist China, and he calls it a central nexus intertwined with all of the leftism in the United States. Neo-Marxists refuse to criticize China despite their serious dedication to analyzing and tearing down everything that they believe is wrong with the United States. A nation that ended slavery, led the world to victory in two world wars, won the Cold War without firing a shot, and has produced the greatest wealth for humanity that we've seen in human history. Marxists are pathologically unable to say anything in public that might make China look bad. Countering China must be the model modeled after Reagan's strategy that won the Cold War and defeated the Soviet Union. That begins with shining a light of truth on communism. Reagan astonished the intellectual elites when he referred to the Soviet Union as an evil empire, when he said Marxism-Leninism would end up on the ash heap of history, and when he said his strategy in the Cold War was very simple. We win, they lose. Democrats and the intelligentsia at the time derided him as an ignorant Philistine. 
And when he stood before the Brandenburg Gate, Reagan said, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. His words changed history. We have to do the same with China, according to Cruz. Speak with clarity, call out their evil, their murder, torture, thievery, concentration camps, and oppression. Like the Soviets, the Chinese are incredibly sensitive and vulnerable to the power of sunshine. Cruz concludes with this statement, and I'm quoting, The Marxist long march through our institutions, commenced six decades ago, has succeeded in capturing the commanding heights of virtually every organ for the transmission of ideas. Education, K-12 through and the universities, journalism, big tech, big business, science and entertainment— all have been overtaken by cultural Marxists. And communist China is central in the nexus intertwined with it all. But unfortunately, Marxism survives only in darkness. Fortunately. And the more of us who stand up, who shine the light, who speak the truth, the more readily we'll take back the country. The Berlin Wall fell, and so will the woke wall of idiocy. America remains, I believe, a center-right country. Our people continue to have deep reservoir of common sense. That's why the cultural Marxists operate quietly, because they, they know their ideas are not widely shared. But every time another one of their abuses is exposed, more and more people wake up to the threat. More and more of us are fighting back. And if that keeps happening, and if we're smart, strategic, systemic, and relentless, just like the Marxists have been, I fully believe we will take America back. Sunshine and transparency are the key of the strategy to combat neo-Marxism. I'll be right back after a short break. You're listening to Victory Over Communism with your host, Bill Gertz. Featuring exclusive interviews with today's top newsmakers and trendsetters. Stand by for more after these important messages. If you enjoy listening to Victory Over Communism with your host, Bill Gertz, please consider helping Bill with his important work of educating patriots just like you about how communism is very real and even more dangerous than ever before. Your donation to the Victory Over Communism program will help expand its reach across America and throughout the world. In fact, you'll be helping to provide the kind of information that may well make its way behind the new Iron Curtain and the Great Firewall of China and inspire those living under communism to seek freedom. Supporting the Victory Over Communism program is easy. Just visit the program website, victoryovercommunism.net, and click on the link at the bottom to gofundme.com. Again, just visit victoryovercommunism.net and click on the link to gofundme.com. Thanks for listening. And God bless America. You're listening to Victory Over Communism, featuring exclusive interviews with today's top newsmakers and trendsetters. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. For the counterproposal section, what I call the spiritual section, I'm going to present the portion of the VOC worldview that corresponds to communism's dialectical materialism, the central tenet that is now a feature of neo-Marxism as well as the secret driving force behind Chinese communism under Xi Jinping. 
This counterproposal is based on the teachings of the late Reverend Sun Myung Moon, who brought forth a new understanding of God, humankind, and the universe that clearly explains that the original ideal of God was never realized due to the first human ancestor's separation from God early on in the creation. According to dialectical materialism, the universe is made up of matter that is in constant motion. This motion is supposedly maintained through a process called the dialectic. The laws of the dialectic are a substantial part of dialectical materialism. They comprise one of the four fundamentals of communism. They are supposedly laws governing nature and society. Therefore, Marxists, for Marxists, they are the laws of progress guiding the entire human history. The VOC worldview counters dialectical materialism by showing in clear terms that progress and development do not occur through the confrontation of thesis-antithesis producing a synthesis. The law of dialectics argues that progress occurs through conflict. A standard Marxist philosophy book from the Soviet Union reads, conflict alone is the source, the driving force of development. In communist China today, The Chinese Communist Party leader Xi Jinping declared in 2018 that the party must have a comprehensive grasp of the worldview and methodology of dialectical materialism and historical materialism and profoundly understand the realization of communism is the historical process of gradually achieving a series of phase goals and of unifying the lofty ideals of communism with the common ideal of socialism with Chinese characteristics and with the things we are currently doing. Xi Jinping said they have to strengthen self-confidence in the path of the theory and the system and the culture and firmly stick to the ideals of beliefs of communists like Marx and the struggle for communism for life. Xi Jinping also said the CCP is a political party for seeking happiness of the Chinese people and is also a political party fighting for the cause of human progress. It's not merely for the Chinese people. Xi Jinping has clearly stated that the goal is to take over the world and impose Marxism-Leninism. In contrast to this, the VOC worldview declares that the development and progress occur through cooperation. Cooperation is the fundamental truth that can show that the law of dialectics is a false doctrine. When did people start to think development occurs through conflict? In general, the belief that conflict is the norm in nature in human society is the result of a misunderstanding that imperfect or sinful humankind separated from God and that this is the norm for human life. As a consequence of this separation from God, contradiction and conflict are pervasive in human life. There is a basic split within each person between the spirit and the body. There's conflict between husband and wife. There's conflict between races. There's conflict between nations. We can't deny that these conflicts occur. However, Marx maintained that such conflict is the norm and the, and the cause of progress. Marxists look at conflict and contradiction found in sinful society, and then they generalize that this is a law of nature. They proclaim that conflict is nature's most basic dynamic. The law of nature and human progress is the law of cooperation. Contradiction and conflict are not the means by which progress and development occur in nature. Certainly, you can find conflict in some elements of nature, but this is a secondary phenomenon. 
Nature exists and multiplies not on the basis of conflict, but through cooperation. For example, between the plant kingdom and the animal kingdom, we have clear examples of cooperation. Plants exhale oxygen, and that oxygen can be used by animals. Animals exhale carbon dioxide, which in turn is valuable for plants. Through such cooperation, life is maintained. Everywhere around can be found the same kind of cooperative process as nature's basic relationship. Even at the sub-microscopic level between protons and electrons, or nuclei and electrons, there is a harmonious interaction of forces that allows matter to exist. That same relationship exists on a cosmic level between the sun and the planets. In human society, fruitful relationships are also founded upon cooperation and reciprocity between parents and children, teachers and students, employers and employees, and consumers and business people. The essence of a healthy relationship is cooperation. Unfairness or exploitation creates mistrust. For the VOC worldview, mistreatment among people is a result of humankind's separation from God, from not fully understanding the will of God. The law of life and progress is what I call give-and-take action. This is the idea that cooperative relationships are relationships built upon a principle of giving and taking. There are two preconditions that must be satisfied before this give-and-take action can take place. These are, one, the possibility of mutual benefit, and two, the positions of subject and object. Condition one is mutual benefit or common purpose. In order for real give and take action to take place, there has to be, first of all, a common purpose. Different parties come together when such a relationship will serve their mutual benefit. Condition two is the subject and object relationship between complementary elements. The subject is the element that initiates the action of giving. The object, in turn, responds to the initiative. I like to stress here, the position does not affect value. That is, subject does not have a greater value than the object or vice versa. In addition, these positions are generally interchangeable. For example, a person is speaking to another person is listening. Then person A is the subject and person B is the object. Later, person B is speaking and person A becomes the object. There is a constant changing of roles according to whether one is giving or receiving. Whenever these two preconditions are met, give and take action takes place. Through this action, energy is generated, and energy is necessary for all existence, action, and multiplication. We experience this constantly in our daily lives. We may have an inspiring conversation with a friend, for example. Afterwards, we feel refreshed and uplifted because such action produces energy. On every level, energy is what enables life or activity to continue. Energy is responsible for promoting multiplication, action, and progress. What's the dynamic that produces energy in any situation? It is giving and receiving in a subject and object relationship. So, what is the cause of all subject-object relationships? Who designed the original dynamic? It's God. In the VOC worldview, this is a primary and initiating energy that is the cause of all give-and-take action. And this energy is known as universal prime energy. Give-and-take action is the method by which every being can tap into universal prime energy and therefore 
draw energy to exist, act, and multiply. In politics, there is a government and there is a people. Who's the subject and who's the object? In a democracy, the people are the subject. The role of the government is that of the servant of the people. In a dictatorship, however, the government takes the role of subject. Frequently, in this case, human rights are suppressed and people become slaves of the rulers. As noted earlier, American democracy was built on the idea that God-given rights, such as life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, are not given by government. They are to be facilitated by government. In communist China, the opposite is the case. The Chinese Communist Party rules with an iron fist, and all rights are derived from the CCP. Because the party is officially atheist, God-given rights are denied, and control of political power by the party becomes the sole purpose of all the party does. This is why the world is becoming more divided between God and communism. In the world, God is the subject and humankind is the object. People are supposed to experience the love of God as the parent and subject. Yet today there's great confusion. This confusion has occurred because another subject has challenged the position of God. This subject is communism and dialectical materialism. Clearly, communism is a God-denying ideology that today is being used by the adversaries of God and religion in an attempt to dominate the world. God and communism are not compatible. God must repel communism. There can be no other subject in the sight of God. The false ideology must be destroyed and the communist must be restored to the position of object of God along with other people in the world. There should be one subject in the universe, God, and one object, humankind. The VOC worldview conclusion is simple. There is the law of cooperation and there is the Marxist law of dialectics. The dialectics was used as a means to negate the need for a creator, but today's Marxist dialectic can be seen as false. The law of cooperation is true and this law originates in the cause of cooperation that we know as God. The law of give and take is simple, yet very profound. If the Marxists can grasp it, then they can understand clearly that revolution and conflict are not the way to bring about a constructive change. Constructive change can only occur through a cooperative process, the action of giving and receiving. I'll be right back. You're listening to Victory Over Communism with your host, Bill Gertz. Featuring exclusive interviews with today's top newsmakers and trendsetters. Stand by for more after these important messages. Hi, this is Bill Gertz. I wanted to talk to you briefly about my latest book. It's called Deceiving the Sky, Inside Communist China's Drive for Global Supremacy. This is the most important book you can read to fully understand the threat posed by the Chinese Communist government. I urge you to get a copy today. It can be found at my website, The Gertz File. That's GertzFile.com or at the book site called DeceivingTheSky.com. You're listening to Victory Over Communism, featuring exclusive interviews with today's top newsmakers and trendsetters. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. For the news section of the podcast, I'm going to examine the day after Christmas speech by Chinese Communist Party dictator Xi Jinping. In front of a gathering the party faithful in the Great Hall of the People in Beijing, 
She was there to honor the 130th anniversary of Mao Zedong's birth. For those sympathizers that say China is not really communist, this speech is proof that not only is the party stuck on Marxism-Leninism, it is, hearing, it is adhering to the worst form of the ideology. She praised Mao for forging the CCP and laying the foundation for the CCP's efforts today to realize Mao's ambition of domination. PRC media, Chinese media, reported that over 100,000 tourists visited Mao's birthplace in Shaoshan, Hunan province to commemorate his birth. Moreover, also in his address on December 26, she stated his intent to conquer Taiwan by stating that no one will split Taiwan from China. That is another immediate warning of, the, of aggression against Taiwan and a clear signal to influence the January 2024 Taiwanese elections that are coming up. These events were little noted in Western media, and not only because of the Christmas holiday, but also because few in America, in the American media, take CCP ideology or Xi's threats seriously. It matters. Honoring Mao's birth and touting his communist ideology is telling and alarming. Xi is a communist, and proudly so. He's dropped all pretense of reform and opening up. As China hand Bradley Thayer, a frequent guest on this podcast, put it, to understand Xi's behavior, worldview, and the motivations of his hyperaggression, the rest of the world needs to understand communism and be, a, and be able to think like one. The Cold War between the People's Republic of China and the United States has multiple dimensions, but it is fundamentally an ideological war. This is because the cause of the Cold War with China is the CCP's communist ideology. Communism is innately illegitimate, as it has no mandate from the people. And so the CCP is hyper-aggressive against the Chinese people and against other nations. It must destroy Western political ideologies, polities, and societies which offer superior forms of government. The CCP's brutal suppression of human freedoms and liberties occurs because the CCP itself knows that it is, it is an illegitimate political system. It only stays in power through the coercion and suppression of the Chinese people. As Mao famously stated, political power grows from the barrel of gun, as do any rights under communism. Contrast this with the natural rights and unalienable God-given rights of American system, and you can see the danger the world is facing today. Communists do have advantages as they are first acutely sensitive to the battle of ideas and the importance of political warfare, which they employ against their enemies within China, but also external foes like the U.S. Second, their objectives are clearly defined. They know what they want. As she told Biden at their meeting in November in California, the CCP will conquer Taiwan. And as she repeated on, Gen on December 26, that no one will split Taiwan from China. A major failing for leaders in charge of the U.S. national security is that they have not taken communism and its hyperaggression seriously. We have to change this immediately. To defeat communism, U.S. leaders and, and the American people need to understand CCP ideology and why it is illegitimate and hostile to the United States. She and the CCP seek confrontation with the U.S. to achieve their cons conception of victory. 
the fulfillment of their ideological goals and the replacement of the U.S. by the PRC as the dominant power in international politics. These objectives have been boldly and transparently advanced by Xi Jinping in his conception of a hegemonic China. His crushing of democracy in Hong Kong, sustained aggression against the Philippines, and his remarks on Taiwan this week are just the latest iteration. Communist China is at war with the U.S. and is fighting that war through all means short of actual kinetic combat. That is economic, diplomatic, technological, lawfare, political, because the U.S. is the single major impediment to Beijing's strategic objectives. Communist China is targeting the U.S. model of political liberalism, capitalism, and a society defined by freedom because it remains the most significant threat to the CCP's own existence. The United States is the only state that can prevent the realization of the China's Chinese ambitions, and so the U.S. is the CCP's sworn enemy, and it will remain the focus of its enmity until either the U.S. is defeated or the CCP is no longer a viable political party. Stalin once was once described as the breaker of nations, but this applies to Xi Jinping as well. He is committing genocide against Muslims. Hong Kong was destroyed by Xi as a functioning democracy. And according to Xi, Taiwan will be destroyed. Taiwan remains a democratic dagger pointed at the heart of communist China. And Xi Jinping wants the island democracy eliminated and soon. According to Xi's recent remarks on Taiwan, when he met with Biden in November, as well as his comment on December 26th, are very important in this regard. But Americans should recall that Xi's plan was openly presented to the world in his most important address in this decade. That was his October 2022 speech to the 20th Party Congress. The speech was really important and provided key insights to his leadership, his impact on the party, and call for war against Taiwan and the U.S. In historical perspective, Xi's address at the 20th Party Congress will be seen as a significant development with lasting implications for the Chinese Communist Party, Communist China itself, and for the risk of war in international politics. In essence, the speech to the 20th Party Congress was important for three reasons. First, she proclaimed that the CCP has achieved its first centenary goal, that is, building a moderately prosperous society, and now has moved on to achieving the second centenary goal, building the PRC into a modern socialist country in all respects and advancing the rejuvenation of the Chinese nation. This is clearly interpreted by Americans as an indication that the PRC now perceives itself as capable of achieving its aim of supplanting the United States. The modern socialist country, that is, the communist China, gets to set the rules for everyone else. That's their goal. Second, since he came to power in 2012, Xi Jinping was steadfast that the ideology of the CCP remains firmly anchored in communism. Honoring Mao is not mere boilerplate. She believes in communism. He's seeking to strengthen the ideological purity of the Chinese Communist Party while strengthening its control over the Chinese people and its influence in the world. Third, 
Belligerence was the order of the day in Xi's speech, and his hyper-aggressive intent has been expressed many times thereafter. For example, in March 2023, Xi gave a series of major speeches and pronouncements. These were directed against the U.S., with Xi's denunciation of hegemonism and implicitly its allies, like Japan and partners like India. Yet most explicitly, Xi's aggressive intent was directed against Taiwan and also the U.S., Thus, Xi Jinping's remarks to Biden and his December 26th remarks threatening Taiwan are more data that continue to reveal the slope of the curve. Xi Jinping is driving the world to war. The world needs to grasp that the threat to peace is immediate. This is so because Xi is a fervent believer in Marxism-Leninism and its implications. These remarks by Xi Jinping show clearly that Unless action is taken, he is going to march forward and force change in the world unless they are stopped by the United States. As dictators go, communist dictators are rather open about their bellicose intents. In February 1946, at the outset of the Cold War, Stalin gave his famous address openly declaring war on the West. Similarly, Xi Jinping has provided the world with his vision for the CCP, China, and international politics. His remarks at the symposium honoring Mao this week and threats against Taiwan are merely just the latest examples of a hyper-aggressive vision. He has explained his reasoning of why the CCP is at war with the U.S. and its allies and partners. The United States needs to recognize the gravity of the threat and respond with far greater alacrity than has been carried out so far by the Biden administration. The struggle with the PRC will define the 21st century and will compel the U.S. to employ every tool at its disposal. A U.S. victory will require, will require many steps, but the most important is the most fundamental. To motivate the American people, the Chinese people, and their allies to understand and join and sustain the fight. This requires understanding the ideology of communism and working to defeat it and counter it. The ideas that the founding fathers of America created, life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, have been sustained by generations of America. We have to draw on these ideals so that the U.S. once again triumphs over a tyrannical foe. Fundamentally, Xi's hyperaggression is a sign of CCP weakness. The PRC is belligerent and ruthless because they know that they are illegitimate and adherence to a base, odious, and failed ideology. While they should never be underestimated, indeed the 20th century was defined by this struggle, they are vulnerable because their ideology in theory and in its application is both inhuman and dehumanizing. Communism has inflicted a horrific blood price on great peoples and civilizations from China to Cambodia, Angolia to East Germany, Cuba to North Korea, and from Russia to Spain. Given this history of hyperaggression, it is past time for Americans to understand this threat and once again defeat communism in the 21st century as Americans did in the last. I'll be right back. You're listening to Victory Over Communism with your host, Bill Gertz, featuring exclusive interviews with today's top newsmakers and trendsetters. Stand by for more after these important messages.
If you enjoy listening to Victory Over Communism with your host, Bill Gertz, please consider helping Bill with his important work of educating patriots just like you about how communism is very real and even more dangerous than ever before. Your donation to the Victory Over Communism program will help expand its reach across America and throughout the world. In fact, you'll be helping to provide the kind of information that may well make its way behind the new Iron Curtain and the Great Firewall of China and inspire those living under communism to seek freedom. Supporting the Victory Over Communism program is easy. Just visit the program website, victoryovercommunism.net, and click on the link at the bottom to gofundme.com. Again, just visit victoryovercommunism.net and click on the link to gofundme.com. Thanks for listening, and God bless America. Hi, friends. During the break, I'd like to briefly mention a little bit about my website, The Gertz File. It's gertzfile.com, and there you can find lots of information. I mentioned earlier my book, Deceiving the Sky. I also would like you to look at I War, War and Peace in the Information Age, which was my previous book. And this is a really important look at information warfare and what we need to do to counter it. I also have information, further information about the podcast, as well as information about the Gertz File Investigative Reporting Project and all of my stories uh, linked to the Washington Times. You're listening to Victory Over Communism, featuring exclusive interviews with today's top newsmakers and trendsetters. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. I'm joined on the interview portion of the program with Shi Van Fleet, great American and author of the new book, Mao's America, A Survivor's Warning. She describes herself as Chinese by birth, American by choice, and a survivor of Mao's Cultural Revolution and a defender of liberty. Welcome to the program. Well, thank you for having me. Congratulations on the book. I hope it's a bestseller and that millions of Americans read it. Uh, Tell us a little bit about the book and what prompted you to write it. Well... Yeah, it, it, it is a story because uh, it, it's all accidental. When I went to the uh, Loudoun County School Board in 2021, summer of 2021, I I gave a one minute uh, um, comment and uh, criticized what the school was pushing in um, back then CRT, which they're still doing it, and compared to the Cultural Revolution. After that, um, I found myself on the spotlight and uh, by the media. They will come and uh, ask me for interviews and, and then, then invite pouring in, ask me to give speeches. So during the process, I noticed that a lot of people, a lot of Americans have never really heard about the Chinese Cultural Revolution. And they know very little of communism, the history, the horror of communism. And now I realize it is all by design because it's never taught to them in school and in media. So during the process, I also realized that and a, one min, a five minutes uh, interview there or, or 40 minutes speech uh, uh, here won't give people enough knowledge of what really happened and why it's important to know what happened in China. So, so last year, 20, uh, 2023 actually, now 2022, and I decided that uh, I have to write a book. And uh, so it took me more than a year 
to write it. And I thought it took me forever, but people told me it is not bad to have a book down in a year. But that's the story. And I have to tell the story in the format of a book, which allowed me to explain in more detail what happened in China 50 years ago and what happened to me 50 years ago and what's going on in America. It is history repeating. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So tell us a little bit about when you were experiencing the Cultural Revolution. How, how did you survive? Everyone has to survive. It is not a choice. You don't uh, get to choose whether you participate or not. Everyone participated. Everyone was uh, uh, hoping that they won't end up the, on the wrong, wrong side um, and become the target of the, uh, uh, first of all, of the Red Guards and later of the government. So you just get into uh, into it, not by choice, but in a survival mode. You mm-hmm. want to survive it. And because people who didn't either lost their lives or lost their years in the gulags or prison. Yeah. And what are the parallels you're seeing here in America that are similar to the way things went in the Cultural Revolution? Yeah, there's a a lot. First of all, what's happening here is exactly what happened in China. It is a Marxist Cultural Revolution with the same kind of a goal. The goal is to uh, erase the tradition, erase the past, and replace it with something new. In China, is to replace it with the most radical version of communism, which is Maoism. And uh, what's uh, happening here is to replace the American funding and uh, our tradition with Marxist, cultural Marxist, known as woke ideologies. Yeah, I mean, it's it's truly amazing. I, I spoke earlier in the podcast about this. What, you know, the American system is based on the idea, <laughs> the founding fathers, that Our rights and freedoms are inalienable rights. They come from God, not from the government. Uh, The Maoist view and the Marxist view is just the opposite. It's the state that has absolute power and tries to impose whatever rights it can only on certain classes of people. It's uh, it's really a frightening scenario. Uh, Just this week, uh, we saw Xi Jinping celebrate the anniversary of Mao's birth. Uh, give us a little take on this uh, again. It used to be that Mao, there was a percentage that he was right and a percentage that he was wrong. Xi Jinping seems to be revitalizing Maoism. And this recent speech by Mao is kind of an indicator of that. Give us your take on that. Yes, it is an indication that uh, he, is, uh, um, he is going back to restore what's called Maoism. And uh, so uh, to me, it is because the reform, the so-called reform, come to the dead end. And in order to hold on to power, he has to resort to what worked in the past. That is totalitarianism. That is dictatorship. And so in order to preserve himself, preserve his power, and, and that the only thing he could do is go back to Mao-style uh, totalitarianism. So it's for self-preservation. But at the same time, there are celebrations in the West. And in Twitter, you see a lot of uh, so-called 
uh, the neo-Marxists, the uh, um, the woke, uh, the wokeists, uh, the wokeists, I call them, and they're celebrating it too. So people say, would communism die one day? I said, as long as the people who want free stuff, who want the state to make decisions for them, to protect them, quote unquote, and. Uh, and, and the people who feel like uh, they could change the world, they would be the one to change the system and to liberate so-called marginalized people, communism will be in business. Yeah, what's the uh, what's the key solution here? What education, getting people to understand the ideology and getting them. I mean, we should start teaching it in school. I know a few places like Florida has required... Uh, teaching about Marxism, Leninism, what's, uh, what, what do you offer for some solutions to this, uh, it, this problem? You just said that, education. Would anyone that, uh, believe that if I say Nazis, Nazism works, Nazism is the solution to world problems, no one would think I'm a same person. They will think that I'm insane and they will, of course, call me a Nazi and I will be shut up before I could even say more. Why? Because Nazism has been totally condemned, has been totally denounced, but not so for communism. People do not understand. Most of Westerners have no understanding of what communism is really about. And then they were taught the opposite. They were taught that communism is all about sharing, it's all about uh, uh, caring. And that is the problem. And that is the only way to solve that problem is education. And I know I have the uh, obligation, really the obligation to teach American um, people and the danger and the horror of communism, socialism, not because I read some books, not because I did some research, it's because I lived through it. So I urge all immigrants, people who lived under communism, and to share their story as well. And so I tell uh, uh, people that you have two choices. You have a choice to listen to someone who lived through it and learn about it and then decide that it is an evil um, um, ideology. Or you choose to find out yourself, but by then it will be too late. We've been talking with Shi Van Fleet, uh, author of the new book, Mao's America, A Survivor's Warning. Shi, uh, how can people get copies of the book and how can they uh, connect with you on social media? Yes, I, I urge you listeners, please get my book and read it and educate yourself and share with your friends and the people uh, in the circle of your influence. This is so important. Going to 2024, we have to wake up as many people as possible. So my book can be found anywhere books are sold. And also, please follow me on um, X, formerly known as Twitter. I tweet every day and my handle is x van fleet x v a n f l e e t once again thanks so much uh, for being on the show that's it for this episode of victory over communism tune in again in a couple of weeks for another episode <laughs> 
Thanks for listening to Victory Over Communism with award-winning national security journalist Bill Gertz, the only program in the free world unafraid to pull back the curtain of communism to reveal how the Communist Party of China and even America's own brand of Marxism pose real threats to freedom and democracy in America and the world today. See you next time on Victory Over Communism with your host, Bill Gertz.